All right. I'll, I'll start without, you know, taking much more space. Uh, well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our fifth and this term's last uh, studies in national and international development event with Dr. Pa Dr. Uh, Panos Hatsiparakopi. Uh, Sorry, again, butchering your last name. Uh, I believe uh, it is really important for me personally, but also as a, a Sinead, uh, to start with an acknowledgement that SNED is hosted by Queen's University, which sits on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy and the Anishinaabek Nation. Uh, I also would like to reiterate our commitment as SNED to boost the voices of scholars, activists, and artists who study, work, and create towards dismantling white supremacy and settler colonialism. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with SNED, uh, we are the longest running interdisciplinary seminar at Queen's University, which started in 1984. The co-chairs of SNED this year are Carolyn Prowse, an assistant professor in geography and planning, and myself, Aicha Tomac, an adjunct, adjunct professor in global development studies and cultural studies. Our student coordinator is Dairon Perez of geography and planning, if you want to join the Synod listserv, uh, please send a private chat message with your email address to one of the hosts, which is Carolyn, myself, or Dairon. Today, we are happy to co-host this, co this event with Migration Speaks series and Dr. Rina Kukreja. Uh, Migration Speaks is an interdisciplinary migration-focused speaker series funded by the Dean's Research Fund. Uh, it hosts two events per term and works in association with existing speaker series such as SNED uh, and organizations at Queens to bring attention to contemporary movements of people as migrants and refugees. Uh, Dr. Rina Kukreja will be chairing this event. Uh, thank you again, Rina. Uh, she's an assistant professor in the Department of Global Development Studies at Queens. She's cross-appointed to the Department of Gender Studies and Cultural Studies. Her current short-funded work examines the intersections of masculinity, sexuality, securitization of borders, and religious fundamentalisms, fundamentalism on the lives of undocumented South Asian men in Greece. Uh, some technical notes, Dr. Kukreja will introduce our speaker uh, who will be presenting around for the minutes. Then we will open up the floor to our audience for your questions. Uh, the chat is open to anyone at the moment. If we experience any virtual harassment, we will limit the chat immediately and your questions and comments will be received only by us as the hosts. In any way, we urge you to use the chat function for questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions. So I'll leave the floor to Rina and Panos. Thank you, Aicha, um, for uh, this lovely introduction. Um, it gives me immense pleasure to introduce Dr. Panos Hatsiprakupiu um, to you all. Um, I have known him for two years, and so it is really fantastic that we are able to bridge this kind of a geographical divide and have him speak. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with him, Dr. Hatsiprakupiu is assistant professor at the School of Spatial Planning and Development at Aristotle University of Thessaloniki. He has studied economics, sociology, and human geography in Greece and at the UK. And previously, he has been research fellow at the Hellenic Foundation for Europe, European and Foreign Policy, or ELIA Map, and the University of Surrey's Center for Research on Nationalism, Ethnicity, and Multiculturalism, as well as the Social Policy Research Center at Middlesex University. 
He's published extensively with, and he has a record of over 50 articles and a monograph um, in edited volumes, as well as research reports and working papers. And he has more than 15 years of research experience in a wide range of topics related to migration and the social incorporation of migrants with a very special focus on labor markets aspects, as well as on the relationship between migration diversity and the urban space. Um, he has participated in various research projects in Greece and the UK, including comparative European ones. Um, just now he's been leading a project on migrants and volunteering, and he leads the Aristotle University research team in a Horizon 2020 project on protracted displacement and transnationalism. And I must add that I'm like really looking forward to collaborating with um, Dr. Panos as um, we embark on a new multi-country collaborative project on racialized laboring bodies. So without further ado, um, over to Dr. Panos. Thank you very much, Rina. Um, I was about to say good evening because it's, uh, it's quite <laughs> evening here, but uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you for giving me the chance to, um, to be with you somehow. Um, and um, um, give this talk. Um, many thanks to Rina Kukreja um, for uh, throwing the, the idea and invite me at in the first place. Sorry about that. Count on that. Um, and also I'd like to thank Caroline Prouse and Darren Lewis. We've been in touch since late summer and, um, and um, for helping out with arrangements and for, for setting this up. <clears throat> and uh, Snit for, for giving the opportunity, for offering the space. What I'm going to present is, uh, is, a, is an ongoing work uh, developing in the last four years or so. Um, in the aftermath of the so-called uh, European refugee or European migration crisis of 2015 and 16, and the way this has been managed at an EU level, but also nationally in, the, in, in Greece, and to some extent uh, locally. Um, I would, however, let me share my screen for you. Um, Now you should be able to see, is that so? Yep, we can see it. Okay, great, thank you. Um, so um, I was saying that I would like uh, to start by first saying a few words about my perspective and background, which I hope will help you make better sense of my talk beyond what uh, the, the, the excellent introduction Rina has, uh, has already um, offered. The title presupposes that the talk is about camps, camps in Greece, migrant camps, though this has not really been my starting point. Uh, by saying this, I would like to stress that I'm not uh, in any way an expert on migrant camps, uh, neither even specializing on refugee status or forced migrations. Rather, I want to look through the lens of the camp 
in order to understand other aspects that I'm interested in. In doing so, however, I sort of bump against the wall of the camp. To be more specific, the different bits and pieces of migration and related work that I've been doing over the past 20 years or so will come together in a rather simple unifying and recurring theme. I'm primarily interested in how do people settle in? How do migrants set foot in a new place? What sort of practices and strategies they employ in the process of organizing their lives um, in a new place? How do they relate and interact with local populations as well as institutions, norms, stances, and how local communities adapt themselves and transform? However, in the context and conjuncture of the so-called Summer of Migration of 2015 in Europe, and particularly in its aftermath, such processes, practices, and relations for many of the newcomers seem to be mediated through the very specific uh, spatial form of the camp, both in respect to the recent Greek experience uh, constituting my primary case study, where migrant camps have proliferated and are sort of five years beyond now well-established, even though extremely fluid, fluid in, in many senses, I, as I will partly explain later on, as well as in Europe at large, where various forms of encampment tend to be generated. Uh, the camp emerges as a space dominating the reception and housing of uh, a good number of newcomers, uh, originally and in some cases still as the unintended and indirect yet temporarily tolerated outcome of migration controls, in the case of informal or semi-formal settlements, for instance, or increasingly as its conscious and direct instrument in the consolidating European border regime. Contemporary accounts of the migrant or refugee camp, whether deriving from international organizations or academic insights, tend to agree on the basics of a definition. You can see there are some uh, from a recent paper, but also from the main agency worldwide that, uh, that uh, builds and manages uh, uh, camps, primarily in the global south. Uh, I'm reading only the first one um, to save time. A camp is any purpose-built, planned, and managed location or spontaneous settlement where refugees are accommodated and receive assistance and services from governments and humanitarian agencies. The second one focuses, builds on the experience of the post-2015 uh, experience in the European context. They similarly agree on the diversity and complexity of places and experiences that these definitions imply. Uh, so for instance, again, reading uh, from the same piece of um, uh, a policy document from the UNHCR 2014, Refugee camps are diverse. They include planned or self-settled camps and settlements or other facilities such as collective centers. Camps are locations where refugees reside and where in most cases, host governments and humanitarian actors provide assistance and services in a centralized manner. Nevertheless, and despite this diversity and complexity, a camp is in many ways an exceptional space. And this impacts directly on various aspects of the lives of uh, its residents. Again, from, from the, same, uh, the same piece of work, the defining characteristic of a camp, however, is a typically 
some degree of limitations of the rights and freedoms of refugees and their ability to make meaningful choices about their lives. So in most of the academic literature on migrant or refugee camps, there is a consensus on their constitutive elements. The term describes however we call it, yeah, in the end of the, at the end of the day, the term describes a place which is partially demarcated, socially segregating, legally exceptional, and permanently temporary in many, many ways, which serves the purpose of control, filtering, and channeling of populations. Uh, this literature, the academic literature on, on camps, migrant camps, or broadly, more broadly camps in general, has lately been mushrooming which does not only show a growing interest in camps and the lives of people in them, but crucially reflects also their proliferation and especially their reappearance in the so-called majority world, or at least as the recent European experience suggests. Indicatively, scholars have talked about an archipelago, an archipelago of encampment. Uh, you can see the references over there, yeah? Um, to describe the growth and diversity of camp-like situations and settlements, and many scholars use evocative terms, such as the ones you, you can see there, to describe different aspects of this reality, camps and sick, campscapes, campization, and so on. Much of this literature was in the late uh, 90s, early 2000s or so, heavily influenced, and still is to, to, to a great extent, by the work of Italian political philosopher Giorgio Agamben, uh, depicting the camp as a state of exception where the rule of law is suspended by sovereign power and where the lives of residents are deprived of any social and political dimension and are reduced to merely biological or bare life, as he calls it. This view was later on contested, for instance, for neglecting the agency of camp residents themselves, who do, however, organize their lives in ways um, allowing them to make individual or even collective claims re-establishing forms of political identity and thus recognizing the camp not solely as a space of exception but also as a political space such as some of the the, the, the scholars quoted there um, still even though such attempts do emphasize the social dimension if you actually build on what the social may entail beyond the political sometimes risking perhaps to idealize the political and collective potentialities in a camp, or transferring in European soil, soil uh, conclusions drawn from camps in and political subjects in very different contexts, such as, for instance, those of Palestinians and the Middle East, and, and other examples, among other examples. So the camp as a social space has, has, has not adequately, I think, um, been studied. But even more so, the economic within the social, although sometimes acknowledged, is never brought to the fore as if there are no economic transactions, transactions taking place in or around camps, or even because of their presence. By this, I kind of underline what is the main focus of my interest and my talk here today. So from this very rough, uh, more theoretical introduction, uh, to which I will return towards the end of the talk. Uh, I will now move on to uh, the core of my talk and uh, will start by saying a few wor words um, on the, on, to give you a sort of background context. <clears throat> and then we'll 
give you some, some uh, snapshots of this work uh, I've been doing, um, beginning from random observations back in um, five years ago, and uh, lately in a more systematic way is taking place um, through field group research in the context of the traffic project, which uh, Rina has also mentioned. Uh, comparative uh, uh, study on uh, transnational configurations of this plate and on the role of mobility and connectivity in uh, um, protracted displacement um, in livelihoods of, of livelihoods of people in protracted displacement. Um, right, we're, we're in a situation that uh, uh, following the um, so-called uh, uh, EU-Turkey deal of 2000, March 2016, many migrants and refugees have been blocked in Greece and remain uh, still today in a limbo situation. Whilst the numbers of new arrivals have initially dropped as a direct effect of the statement, uh, they start going up again since 2017. I'll show you some figures later on. Um, and then there was a surge in uh, 2019, uh, but then COVID and uh, pandemic and other developments um, have uh, put this number down again. Um, the majority or a good number, and again, I'll show you numbers uh, shortly, are sheltering what the government calls open temporary hospitality structures or open reception facilities or reception identification centers, uh, hotspots on the islands. Um, in essence, these are camps managed by the state and operated by uh, earlier on UNHCR, now, nowadays the uh, International Organization of Migration or, uh, or some, some big uh, NGOs, civil society act, humanitarian actors. And um, currently there are 27 such sites in the mainland and another seven sites in Eastern Aegean islands. Um, so in this, in this kind of context, back in late August uh, 2016, some, some seemingly earlier on uh, unconnected and maybe unimportant incidents and random observations started became important for me. Uh, Back in August 2016, while spending, um, uh, finishing a holiday, spending the time walking in the big park close to Hios um, city port, we were generously offered a pack of dried fruits by a Syrian family with whom our kids have, brought, have been brought in brief encounter. In our kind reaction of not depriving them, them from it, they showed us dozens such packs in a bag all by a local company trading and packaging nuts and dried fruits. This would have perhaps been otherwise forgotten had it not been followed by various other examples rather than uh, rather scattered back then and seemingly unconnected, as I said, such as observing the canteens and occasional little makeshift stalls selling basic goods or services at the port initially or later on outside the entrance of the uh, until recently infamous Moria camp uh, in Lesbos Island, uh, or even inside the, the camp, at least until early September uh, 2020, and then encountering and exchanging small talk with migrants in Mytilini, shopping or sitting in the seafront cafes. 
wondering about who were the wholesalers provide tents, providing tents initially, and then later on the containers where people in most camps live. Knowing of the continuing flow of donations in food, medicines, and various other things by individuals or organizations to various camps across the country. Becoming aware of instances of migrants moving outside camps, but staying registered there in order to keep their place and related benefits, such as cash assistance, with some subletting the facility to newcomers and some obviously offering um, informal or formal work outside the camp. Um, learning about the, main, the chain of sub subcontractors in the catering for camps in, uh, and around, in and around Athens. Uh, money coming from Europe and managed through the UNHCR or the Ministry of Migration Policy allocated to an international NGO in the first case or the army who subcontract the catering company and hire extra workers to cover the increased needs and obviously has increased on orders to suppliers. And then uh, the many job ads looking for people to work in many camps and hotspots, but also in post serving camps and hotspots by a variety of actors. Yeah, staffing the reception system, the asylum system as a whole state, UNHCR, IOM, NGOs, private, solidarity groups, collectives, or many individuals. Uh, through these and many more, I became aware of these economics surrounding the, the camps. And uh, I, was, um, I came up with um, a series of questions, which is the core at the core of, uh, of today's talk. What kinds of markets or industries are developed because of camps? and the presence of their residents, as well as a host of other people, how this may be embedded in local or national economy, economies, who are the main economic actors in this process, individual, collective, institutional actors, private or state, formal or informal, and how do they relate to each other? Can we detect forms of economic agency of CAP residents, migrants and refugees? and how does this impact on everyday lives and on the host uh, stains of relations. I'm not going to respond to all of these one by one and in detail today, but in the, I hope about uh, 25 minutes or so, uh, I might have left. Um, um, I will give you uh, some, some broad idea of, of uh, uh, examples of uh, how this may, may work. Um, passes that is of, uh, of this in the, uh, the recent Greek experience. Uh, building on some of the, of the field work uh, few years. Panos, if I can, I'm sorry to uh, disrupt, but your notes are hitting the mic and sometimes we can, you know, not hear what you're saying. So just a heads up. Your notes on the computer. Yeah, yeah. No, don't, don't worry about it. Just, just. Okay, please do let me know when it's not, uh, soundable uh, when, when it can be heard. Um, yeah, just, just uh, a very brief introduction in the, in the Greek uh, experience of migration as, as, a, as a country of destination since the early 90s. Uh, I'm not getting into the details, but just to um, uh, note this uh, shift that happens around uh, um, at some point mid last decade, but especially after the so-called uh, the, the sort of debt crisis and austerity uh, uh, about a um, bit more than 10 years ago. And um, the um, what, what has been called the, the refugee crisis, 
um, during which Greece has been found at epicenter. And since then, it has became again a transit space and shortly after from a transit space to a, to a storm, a kind of buffer zone at the external frontier, the inner external frontier of the EU, having its own internal buffer zones in um, um, itself in this process. There you can see before 2014, the kind of um, flows as registered in police statistics. Uh, so a way to depict flows this is actually police apprehensions for illegal, irregular entry or residence. So it's not, it's indicative rather than telling, you know, of the, of the movements of people as such. Uh, somebody might have been apprehended more than once and all such problems with statistics. Uh, the Greek-Turkish border, which is also at this part EU um, border, uh, sifting uh, from islands to mainland uh, and then from uh, mainland to islands again. It started with uh, the, the, the land border. I mean, border crossings going up around 2010. Um, and uh, since the red line depicting uh, the, the building of a fence, more or less where you can see on the map, somewhere here, uh, flows were shifted towards the island, since the blue lines here, the blue bars show. I'm passing all this very quickly because the point I want to make is basically if we enter 2015, the, the graph becomes a bit, uh, um, yeah, we have this, this really long power in 2015, which was an exceptional, um, obviously, um, conjuncture, uh, whereby um, around more than 900,000 people, according to police statistics, uh, a bit more uh, than, um, if I remember well, uh, 860 or something, according to Frontex, for instance, have crossed through uh, Greece within a year alone. About half of them in 2015 uh, alone have crossed through uh, Lesbos Island itself. Um, so um, the point I want to make that, uh, I mean, many, many uh, have called this um, not really a refugee or migration crisis, but a crisis of reception, and certainly not uh, a humanitarian crisis, perhaps, an, an asylum crisis, certainly not a crisis after 2016. You can also see the figures. These are uh, recent pictures, but you can see the figures, annual figures for uh, past uh, years from the UNHCR Mediterranean um, emergency sort of website, um, easily accessible online. This is only to, to give you an indication. So, and here you can see how um, shortly after from 2016, early 2016, uh, the Greek state um, following, um, you know, um, also EU sort of arrangements, um, started building uh, different kinds of camps across uh, the country. And this is how the picture looks like now and some of the numbers. Currently, 
Uh, it's nearly 28,000 people counting in the mainland, uh, living in such um, spaces. Um, and another uh, 17,500, 17, sorry, on the so-called hotspots on the islands. And again, just to give you um, a broad idea of the, of the scale in the country, nothing compared perhaps to uh, camps in the Middle East or Africa, but certainly a big thing for Europe and a country like uh, Greece in a situation which is not anymore an emergency, not anymore a crisis as uh, such. I'm going to focus to uh, on uh, give you those snapshots, uh, trying also to have some control of the time or examples from a number of camps uh, surrounding uh, in or around Athens, such as the ones you can see there. This is the map um, of um, Greater Attica and a bit of Central Greece. Um, it's nothing uh, very special. I'm not a GIS specialist, despite being in a department with, with uh, such specialism. So it's just from, from the Google uh, Maps. Uh, the one in red color is uh, the only one within the borders of the municipality of Athens, located in an area which is, um, you can see, um, like, I'll show you, uh, even for those of you not familiar with the city, here is the city center, and here is the Acropolis, and there is the camp. Yeah, but it's in an area which is a former industrial district with many storehouses, you know, abandoned land uses um, over there, uh, deprived, uh, not, not so much residents uh, and very scattered, really at the fringes uh, between big motorways and um, so on and so forth. Uh, so that's where it's um, located. And uh, zooming in. You can see how it looks from above or how it looked about a few months ago because that's from from um, google maps as well yeah and from the outside before and once from the inside once it was built uh, this uh, is a quote uh, i've tried to make sense of a translation google translation from arabic um, from uh, somebody who uh, had been moved there from uh, from from the island and recalls of uh, uh, his if i'm not mistaken uh, first few days yeah of of being there back in march 2018 i'll read i was one of the most it was one of the most difficult days of my life but over time it became one of the most beautiful memories i left this place uh, very much not because it is beautiful, not, but it was very normal and not good enough. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I got new friends and I saw old friends in it and I stayed with them for about a month. Had some recreational activities, um, singing and sports and a lot of organization trying to provide assistance and um, clothes, I should, I suppose. Close to the train station and bus stop, which is true. There is no shopping nearby. Only one day a week opens the market of vegetables and used tools near it. So to depict that people uh, need to, to move for basic amenities, 
um, on a daily basis, but there is an open market that developed basically to serve over the over these five years. That was the first actually to be built back in autumn 2015. Um, and um, to serve the, the, the people who are not able to move, especially during these last few months of um, lockdown, uh, this has been um, of, of great use uh, and help. This now is really at the fringes of the urban greater Athens of the, of the urban complex. Again, in, a, in an industrial, at the fringes of an industrial um, area near um, uh, by the sea in a former uh, Navy uh, military sort of um, location facility. That's how it looked before it became a camp. That's how it is now. Up until recently, it was uh, one of the largest in the mainland in terms of uh, um, hosting more than 2,800 people. Now there are a couple of others with uh, this number of residents. But until a few months ago, and even now, um, this is what you see when you zoom uh, in Google. You see something which resembles very much what we are used to to see, or at least when when <laughs> we didn't have restrictions of movement, and uh, at least here in Greece, lockdown closed also um, lately as well, a second round of um, shops and restaurants. But some of them, uh, despite being informal, you you can see that they are set up by people um, staying in the camp. Some of them are. That's how they look. Uh, on the Google pages, on the Google Maps, that is. They either are small um, supermarkets like these or small restaurants who, which advertise themselves and many others. These are only examples. Uh, a more different sort of case is uh, the Ritsona camp, which uh, um, I visited a couple of years ago. Uh, it's like triple the population of um, around 800 that it was back then, uh, now. And it sort of became famous because of a very active uh, um, young Afghan, mostly Afghan uh, um, movement. Um, teenagers, uh, there is a very um, vocal uh, young girl um, lately, but the, 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 again, the point I want to make uh, is these little shops, Nargile, Falafel, um, coffee and tea, but also informal everyday economies in some way. People are, are uh, building a living space, even in waiting, even in, in limbo. And, and this is, uh, you know, through gardening, through making this beautiful as, uh, as their stay there becomes protracted. And uh, my last example um, of photographic example from, from the camps in themselves, um, will will take you to, to the border, or one form of a border. It's an island uh, near 
the, land, the sea border with Turkey, Lesbos, uh, infamous of the, until early September, Moria camp, which uh, reached, uh, um, exceeded uh, back just before the, first, the, the previous lockdown, uh, January uh, 2020, exceeded uh, 20,000 people uh, living in a jungle um, uh, bigger than Calais in uh, northwest France uh, when, when, when it was in its height. This is more or less where on the island this is. It's very, it was very close to the city. And the second one uh, dot you can see here um, is the, this was in fire um, back in uh, 9 September. And uh, this is the new location where, where people are now uh, have moved. Uh, numbers are something like um, um, 8,000 at the moment. Um, in this new place. Uh, zooming in does not allow you, in, or did not in, uh, in Google, but that's, it's an abandoned, uh, the space was an abandoned uh, uh, former military camp. Uh, but then it became like that. This is the location of the camp. The outside is the jungle. This is how it looks like. Uh, from August. Uh, this is a photo taken back in August, but the point I want to make, there is a long, there is literally speaking a high street. Uh, when I took this photo, uh, visiting that with Lira, the researcher who, who works for the earlier mentioned project, European project, um, this is just one point in a street where you have stalls like that. Uh, there were four people carrying uh, a whole uh, lamb whole, uh, many, many other such examples. Um, you can't see this very well because uh, we, we needed to, could not use people uh, people's faces in, uh, in photos and so on, but uh, um, mobile phones, SIM cards, computer repair, uh, clothes, whatever you can imagine. I mean, even uh, things that, uh, you know, not just the daily, uh, literally speaking daily, amenities, food, and so on, but uh, um, haircuts, uh, um, accountants, even, um, whatever you can imagine. Um, but also outside, that uh, is the entrance over uh, looking opposite the camp as where it used to be, yeah? Uh, so at, the, at my back, there is Maria's shop, uh, again, selling um, daily deeds, um, goods uh, for, for those uh, living in the camp. Nothing existed there. It's uh, uh, olive tree, olive, olive uh, groves, mostly the surrounding area. Uh, now there, I mean, apart from uh, um, where, where NGOs uh, might have also occupied some of the spaces, for instance, back in August, uh, just at my left, as you see the photo, there is, uh, there is a, a medical center of the Médecins Saint Frontier. But also some, some, some of the nearby olive girls lose or lost their value. Uh, 
and the local community had to adapt. This picture only wants to say that there is a, a bus serving, reflecting also hostility or racism from, from the local community. So people don't want to intermingle uh, on the same bus, so there's a bus taking those rents, but they, they put this in Arabic too, back then at least. Uh, that's in, in town. Uh, this is, uh, it's about two years old. Uh, it's certainly not the case anymore. Uh, many NGOs following events uh, just um, related to Greek-Turkish diplomatic uh, tensions uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, which and and, and uh, the government's attempts to build um, uh, close detention that is facilities on the islands, uh, really big facilities that attracted resistance, uh, were met with resistance by both uh, by by locals, not just in Lesbos but also in other in other islands. Um, this is uh, uh, you know many humanitarian workers, many people working for NGOs, many NGOs uh, have, have been forced to leave or decided to, to stop activities on the islands or to reduce them, even the UNHCR itself. Uh, still, there are, there are quite a few of them, but this is indicative of this uh, whole humanitarian industry with bigger or smaller organizations deployed on the islands. And you can imagine the number of persons uh, with a working or volunteering, but mostly working uh, in the last couple of years or so, that uh, early volunteer and solidarity became professionalized in the meantime. Um, and uh, not just in the camp, but certainly serving the people, uh, most, of, uh, most of the people in, uh, you know, um, asylum seekers on the island uh, stayed in, in the camp. Um, and then there are people who came to the island, who pay a rent, who consume, um, uh, who go out at night. I mean, there's a whole uh, change uh, in uh, even in the sort of um, nightlife and restaurants, uh, you know, um, adapting to uh, the style, uh, styles and uh, in many ways to uh, to, to this new presence um, and uh, the demand, let's say, of uh, NGO workers, humanitarian workers, and so on. It's, it's kind of visible locally, although I don't have an example. Uh, but uh, this, this, this is another aspect of it, which I have not mentioned. And uh, uh, I'm trying to relate this uh, to the migration industry because that's a branch of literature where I first um, sought to um, find some sort of uh, theoretical uh, um, modes to interpret or to make sense of uh, all this somehow. Uh, but maybe that goes even beyond because that's not really a migration industry. Yeah? Uh, what you can see there is the, from the website of a company uh, doing this, modular housing multi-systems, among others, containers. And among many, many other things they do, they also do refugee service buildings, yeah? Uh, 
they have a, a whole range of products or solutions, as they call it, among them this. And there, just at the bottom right, I think uh, I have to constantly move the zoom uh, sort of, um, 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 so, sorry, when sometimes I seem not to be doing something sensible, but Oceanic Security is the, the one where in uh, the three Athens camps or the two Athens camps that I've shown you is, is the, it has a contract with the state since 2016. Um, and it's a private security company offering security services in many camps across the country. It's not the only one. So as examples of other kind of private business, private sector economies that are also um, there. Uh, and now some, some um, again, in a form of snapshots uh, of, uh, from, from our interviews, mostly our expert so-called key informant interviews um, uh, in the context of this traffic uh, Horizon 2020 project. Um, which obviously uh, looks not only in Greece, uh, uh, but uh, in other countries in Europe, in Africa, in the Middle East. Um, we visited Eleonas uh, twice uh, with uh, Eva, fellow uh, researcher. We spoke uh, the first time with um, the camp um, deputy manager. She gave us those examples in, in our questions about um, uh, employment and ways of uh, um, residents uh, can, can achieve um, um, an income, can make an income. Yeah, uh, only the first one can be formal um, or is mostly formal. The other examples are usually informal. But there is a, a sort of relation, I mean, because the, it's done in an organized way somehow. Uh, yeah, they ask the, the camp authorities. I'm not reading through it, I'm leaving you to, to read through. Uh, it's not so vocal because it's bullet points of different examples that she mentioned. We were not allowed to record, so we took notes. Uh, but here is some, some direct quotes from in a very different place. Uh, which certainly is not really the migration industry that, that relates to migrants' labor, to camp residents' labor, uh, in a place uh, quite distant from the location Saverler showed you in Athens. That's Lavrio, that's really South Attica, uh, facing the Aegean Sea and the, the Cycladic Islands. I mean, not really Cycladic, but the start of them. Uh, a former, uh, perhaps the older uh, refugee camp in, in the country, I mean, half a century old, but since the 80s with um, Turkish political dissidents and uh, since the 90s with uh, Kurds from Turkey, lately mostly Kurds from uh, Afrin uh, and the north part of uh, Syria, but also Turkey and Iraq and Iran. Uh, again, that's from an interview late February, just a week before the, the spring lockdown, um, speaking with a Kurdish committee coordinator. Um, again, his responses on the sort of kind of interactions with uh, the local economy and community 
he mentioned some which uh, which relate to uh, work uh, locally, uh, comparisons work locally and, and seasonal activities like that. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's a marina over there. So the code there relates to, to this. Uh, but obviously that, that goes well beyond the migration industry, well, well even beyond the, the sort of, um, um, these are the data that the most recent I could find. It's not December, 2018, uh, that was forgotten from an earlier version. That's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, January or February 2020. So it's the start of this year, and you can get a sense of the different sources of the funding received by Greece uh, from the EU, emergency or otherwise, yeah, these three funds, uh, since uh, 2015. Uh, and it's interesting, this document, because it, uh, it gives you a sense of uh, the, the the first recipients of this, not where it went. Uh, so here are another two codes, which can give you just a sense, because I'm saying this uh, in purpose, I'm naming, uh, titling this camp economies, because it's not really just about camps. The first quote is from the Estia project manager in the municipality of Athens. In Athens, Estia is the emergency support and um, integration assistance, something like that. Anyhow, it's the, the, the project offering um, accommodations, reception uh, services, basically accommodation and cash assistance to asylum seekers uh, around uh, um, to, uh, 21 uh, to 22,000 uh, people, uh, beneficiaries, individual beneficiaries right now. Uh, I mean, end of November, um, yeah, early November, sorry about that. And talking with her, she mentioned the, a business cycle, a, a really big business cycle around this program, because it's not just the rent and utilities, but also the refurbishing of the apartment, uh, repairs, employing technicians of every specialization, as I said. That's in an urban context, but this combined with uh, camps and a whole set of uh, social services uh, or services related to uh, supporting uh, the asylum people during their asylum uh, process. Uh, Epirus is uh, a region at the north uh, west of the country. Uh, speaking with a lawyer, the GCR is the Greek Council for Refugees. That's the president of the board of that, or its board of directors. It's an NGO, a long-standing one, um, in in the country. Um, um, it's probably not the poorest in Europe, but it's it's a poor in terms of economic indicators. Uh, in terms of uh, you know the, the presence of uh, asylum seekers, migrant refugees of the latest so-called wave. He, he calls it an over-representation. The quota is bigger than elsewhere in the country. Uh, and and it's, it's a completely different picture from the hostility we've seen at the other side of the border, the Lesbos overburdened somehow in many ways by this, and uh, perhaps the, um, the economic impact uh, is not um, is unevenly distributed somehow. 
uh, this guy told us that uh, that's probably why we didn't have racist reactions over there because many people found employment either directly or income indirectly uh, through the small industry of social protection services that was developed and attracted money that is not produced locally but comes from Athens or Europe. Now, uh, if I have another five to ten minutes, uh, if I'm not, um, yeah, um, making, um, you know, um, doing the time, uh, trying to, to make sense of all this, how to make sense of all this. Um, I'm reminding you the, where, where I left the, the sort of theory in the introduction, that in, the, in, the, in this mushroom in literature on migrant camps beyond the global south, at least, camp economies or the economic surround mechanisms and instruments of border control uh, yeah, are absent or overlooked. Maybe they are mentioned somehow, uh, but, but I, I haven't seen uh, many things putting them at the front. Uh, the, the sort of economic interactions that usually in the literature, I mean, yeah, uh, are accounted for in relation to border controls or otherwise. Uh, there is this rather separate branch of liter literature, not necessarily uh, looking at migrant camps or at focusing on what is now referred to as the migration industry. Uh, I'm not repeating the quote there, it is one of the very earliest that this, this has developed and probably there are much more to, um, to, to refer to now. But just to, to, to say that the major topics in this strand of research um, are, are about the instruments, stakeholders, finances of the control apparatus itself and its side mechanisms or effects, for example, the humanitarian market or even migrant smuggling. Even though broader in scope, there is a handful of uh, recent studies about the political uh, economic circuits of migration control in the global north in the context of advancing neoliberalism. For instance, what you can see there examining privately run detention centers and prisons in the US, as well as prisons, right? privatizing asylum, for instance, in the UK, under the frame of neoliberalizing asylum or austerity asylum policies, according to Jonathan Darling. Recent studies on the Greek case too have analyzed the unfolding of a form of disaster capitalism, as in the work of Frank, specifically on the island of uh, Lesbos, or the financialization of refugee humanitarian, sorry, humanitarianism, as um, the, 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 the study by Tatsioli. But nevertheless, how these markets in or outside uh, quotation marks, yeah, or industries may be embedded in national local economies remains, I think, understudied. Even more so, the economic geographies of camps seem to be silenced, while the economic agency of migrants and refugees seems to be neglected. A different picture emerges if we expand this literature search to refugee camps or areas hosting refugee camps in the global south, for instance, in the Middle East or Africa. Some of the studies there quoted are from Tanzania, Kenya, and elsewhere. It's quite revealing that in these cases, this, there seems to be quite an interest in the economies of or surrounding the camps. And what is more interesting is that some studies 
um, highlight the role of camps in economic development, sometimes local economic development, and while registering a positive economic impact of camp economies on local economic development uh, processes. Some also conclude that, as ever perhaps, this is not evenly distributed among the local non-camp population, and that there are winners and losers in this process. Uh, this implies unequal economic geographies, and uh, it would be interesting to explore both the place and role of camp residents, or more broadly, migrants and refugees themselves, what are the impacts on and implications for their everyday lives, and how does it affect host stranger relations also in the global north, in Europe and in Greece, where my case study comes from. Uh, so, uh, to cut a long story short and uh, move towards a uh, um, conclusion with, with many open questions, perhaps. Um, I mentioned before several actors. I showed you some examples of, uh, of this, uh, these actors. Um, private or state, individual, collective, local, transnational, formal, informal, uh, including actors in sectors and activities who would not otherwise be related to migration at all and would operate anyhow, perhaps, yet they may face now a serious downturn in the context and conjuncture of crisis and austerity in Greece 10 years ago, perhaps, especially on local level. These actors cross-cut in various ways, but among others, they appear to also come together and interplay in a number of socioeconomic net networks, instigating forms of development within or outside quotation marks and stimulating markets in multiple scales, from networks of food production and distribution catering for camp population to makers and resellers of tents or containers, from transport and tourist industry to local housing markets and from informal economic arrangements built around camp life to employment for NGOs operating camps or private companies catering for them. So to cut a long story short, using a developmental terminology from economic geography and regional development, I, I started wondering whether these camps in Greece and elsewhere have functioned or function somehow as a form of business clusters, extracting profit out of what is conventionally seen as a burden in crisis-ridden local economies. I think this may offer a new perspective in both understanding and criticizing the proliferation of camps in the North, Europe and Greece, uh, some of which may soon be turned into detention center as the current government uh, has in several occasions announced. Uh, critical understandings of the expanding apparatus of migration control and evolving border regimes have, among others, highlighted the functions of controls in producing certain type of workers, flexible, unprotected, adaptable, and so on, um, and in regulating the timing, this reserve army in Marxian terms, uh, will enter the productive or reproductive sphere in deregulated labor markets. This echoes the Marxian analysis of primitive uh, accumulation. Um, I'm referring here to accounts such as the, the autonomy of migration, the autonomy of uh, migration, the mobility commons, for instance, perspectives, among others, not, not exclusively. Yeah? Um, and the subsequent uh, uh, reprising um, of the primitive accumulation notion uh, as a process immanent to capitalism and thus ongoing, 
and the crucial role of enclosures. Uh, after all, historical enclosures have been at the heart of primitive accumulation, not only producing a reserve army of labor, but also privatizing and commercializing the means of production at large. If camps are to be understood as contemporary enclosures, then they do not only serve forging a precarious, precarious labor force, but also fostering growth and employment in the wider economy, even if their residents are not all of them destined to directly become this precarious labor force. What I'm trying to say uh, is that apart from, and yet alongside those invisible economic actors, networks and transactions that are not directly or implicitly linked to migration control, and hence often fall outside the scope of valuable scholarly accounts, uh, such as the so-called migration industry branch uh, that I mentioned earlier, ultimately expanding to include, include also the humanitarian sector and the whole range of criticism um, in, in, uh, along those lines uh, in this area. The small economic deeds of the migrants themselves, as well as of other people somehow related to the camps, workers, volunteers, activists, uh, as well as you know, the, the bigger players uh, in, in, in this game, um, are, are also an important part of the ways through which um, uh, people, I'm returning now to where I started from somehow, organize their lives in a, in a, in a new uh, aligned, for them hostile, constraining environment, but also crucially determine their daily exchanges and thus relations uh, with the population of populations of local communities. This process is marked by deep inequalities and there are winners and losers in the process. And this may lurk behind xenophobic or racist reactions, perhaps. And it ultimately takes place at the back of the migrants themselves. Thank you very much. And thank you for bearing with me for a, a bit beyond the time. Um, I hope sound and, uh, and uh, connection was, um, has allowed you to, 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 make, to, to hear. And um, I would be open to questions and criticism if, um, if there are. Thanks again. Thank you so much, um, Panos, for this such a nuanced understanding about economic geographies of camp and especially bringing in those images. Um, I'm going to let the floor open for discussion and I'm sure you're very capable of handling questions. Um, and um, yeah, over to people who might have some questions. So I see Marcus raising his hand. Um, yeah. Hi there. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. Hi. Thanks so much for the talk. Uh, really interesting. Um, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on the kinds of informal networks that make what you call sort of um, normal economic life, or, or the normal economic life work within the camps. You, you, you set up quite interestingly, um, on one hand, as a sort of form of extraction. 
as a way that uh, money is made in and through and through uh, the migrants, etc. But also you sort of counterbalance that as this zone of potential solidarities. And, and, and evidently, um, I'm seeing certain parallels to discussions of informal economies, and we'll use the term with the scare quotes around it for, for, for good reason, I think. But just in, in, in general, the sort of these kind of um, different approaches to uh, the values and networks through which econo economic life works through in these exceptional uh, um, situations. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the way that you kind of balance that. And I'm particularly interested in one of the lines on your slide towards the end, there was sort of offers some possible interesting ways of thinking about solidarity and, and, so, and so forth. One of the questions I have about that specifically would be the question of to what extent you talk about the camps as hierarchized as divisions and inequalities within them. How does that tangibly sort of work within this idea of a, a sort of outside extracting from, but a solidarity economy potentially within? Uh, it, it really intriguing dynamics. I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate a bit, a bit more on that. Um, thank you, Marcos. Uh, how do we do this? Do, do we do I try to, to respond or do we take more questions? And I think maybe you, well, you can respond one by one and that would make it easier because, um, yeah. So, okay. um, yeah, Panos, you can respond to Marcus's question, which, you know, is also one that I was intrigued by. Um, thank you for the question. It's, it's really interesting. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, um, I don't think I can offer a full answer. We, we can discuss this uh, perhaps um, in more detail, but uh, uh, let, let me make sure that I've understood the question well. So um, your um, your interest was mostly uh, is mostly on the on the solidarity, the economies surrounding perhaps informal uh, ones surrounding uh, solidarity networks and uh, within and. The camp, but also coming from the outside, let's say from from local community or for do do I get it? Uh, yeah, I'm right? I'm just in, in, intrigued because you, you you sort of put up this this tension between the camps as as sort of divided by inequalities and also facing the potential for um, value expropriation from the outside, these kind of businesses that are setting up around to sort of, as it were, expropriate value from within the camps itself. And yet you sort of lay open the possibility, the hope that there's also forms of organizing economic life within the camps that have this solidarity. So perhaps a, a way of opposing this is obviously in your research, what kind of circumstances perhaps lead more towards the, the solidarity aspects vis-a-vis -vis those perhaps where you've seen uh, examples where this doesn't take ho uh, hold so well, et cetera. What are the kind of social networks that are necessary or that seem to give rise to more of the sort of solidarity organized, uh, sort of solidarity organized informal economic networks vis-a-vis -vis the, vis the more uh, exploitative ones? Uh, any idea of what sort of you know that sort of comparative aspect perhaps does that make sense i'm sorry if it wasn't a very clear i question. think so and you can correct me uh but, but i can uh, i can give you perhaps some hints from from the latest uh, uh sort of uh, field work in this back in the summer months let's say um 
which uh, perhaps offer a partial, a partial response. Uh, if a part of those, um, you mean self-managed, uh, informal, and uh, among what you've called solidarity economies, yeah? Uh, yeah, among, among others. The, well, what seems to be clear, obviously that there are differences from side to side, uh, and there seems there seem to be some some clear factors influencing why here uh, not there. Um, certainly, I'm I'm uh, not a geographer by training, but I'm in a department of spatial planning, so I have a sort of uh, geographic inclinations, uh, and uh, so perhaps I I kind of uh, tend to overemphasize that sometimes uh, the role of uh, space and uh, space related um, factors, let's say, but. Uh, one should relate to distance uh, from, uh, um, you know, get, get, getting access to services, but also to daily deeds, uh, amenities, uh, shopping. So uh, the one where you can see supermarkets and uh, um, also restaurants, uh, for instance, in the Google map, similar, you know, to the ones we see in the core of the city and they are formal and so on, for example, uh, is, is a case like that. Another uh, factor, I think, relates to protractiveness, to how long people have been there. Um, and if there are communities, because there is fluidity, people come and going, uh, um, but there are some who have uh, been living for more than two or even three years, for instance, and that, uh, that also plays a role. Another, uh, again, I'm, I'm gathering from, from different uh, types of uh, interviews uh, that uh, we've done since November 2019, but especially uh, June, July, and to some extent August, uh, has to do with uh, camp authorities. In some, in, in some cases, these are tolerated. In some cases, there are strict restrictions, no not inside. Um, so, and, and obviously I would say that this, but this is not really coming directly from, from, from the research. It's mostly a sense that, that in some cases also that, uh, you know, it depends on the, on the, on the people who, who are found in a, in a, in a place, I guess, uh, or the groups maybe sometimes, but, I, but, but the other three I can, I can uh, respond for, for sure. Now, if solidarity economies refers also to um, to, to collective, uh, not not just the these type of economies, uh, but also to to collective resistance or collective organization within the camp that relates uh, uh, people with um, um, the outside or social movements or solidarity groups in the outside, that's probably a different thing. Uh, there, the, the kind of uh, synthesis of, uh, and uh, you know, you, you, you may have within the, uh, the camp, but also the, the type, the activists, for instance, who uh, um, happen to, to be there uh, outside, but, you know, can, can, can make a step towards the inside, can build bridges, uh, let's say. And again, we have seen shifts because at that level, the more political that is, um, um, version of solidarity that that uh, we've seen attacks towards uh, even formal NGOs. Yeah, uh, not, not not speaking about more more radical or uh, 
um, uh, informal groups, um, uh, including mixed groups, groups involving both, uh, let's say, uh, the local people from the local community and uh, asylum seekers and refugees at various levels, not just in Greece and elsewhere in Europe as well. Uh, but this, what, I, what the reason I mentioned it is, is that also at this level you can see uh, unregistered uh, economies. There, there, uh, there, this constant flow of goods, let's say, sometimes goods that are not necessarily needed by the people in the residence of the camp, which is something also registered uh, in, in in many ways and by different actors, let's say, like migrants themselves, but also, uh, let's say people from NGOs or, or the camp manager I mentioned and so on, that we don't need any more clothes, for instance, but we have stored all them and now we, we take them out. We need to, to give them elsewhere, for example. Uh, obviously needs change as well. Uh, uh, in the course of time, things are not as they were in the autumn of 2015 or uh, late March 2016. Uh, yeah, I, we could have a whole discussion of that. I'm not sure. I hope that at least partly I, I offered the perspective. No, that's great. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Any other questions? Um, I have a question, if that's OK. Um, I would first like to say, like, I really liked your presentation. Um, the pictures to me were very eye-opening because I never really um, understood how they lived. That was a good person led to us. Um, and my question, um, you, talk, you touched on it for a moment, but I was wondering if you could talk about how um, COVID has affected the migration count. Sorry, can you repeat how? Yeah, like how like COVID-19 has affected like the migration camp. Uh, camps were not, um, uh, I mean, lockdown was not relieved um, for uh, camps as in the rest of the country uh, early May. Um, it started uh, um, the second week of March and it lasted until more or less the, the, the first, um, around the 10th of May uh, for the country as a whole. But for camps, it was uh, being reviewed every two weeks. But it, uh, I mean, it was more relaxed, but it, it was there all the time. Uh, it, it was, I think that, uh, you know, it, uh, it, we did not have a generalized sort of uh, spread of the virus within camps. Uh, we had, uh, we, we've seen though more strict uh, measures in camps where we did have some um, uh, positive um, incidents. Uh, one of which was, uh, uh, was the one that I've, um, the, the, the one close to Athens, but in a more rural site that I've shown you, um, some, some photos of Ritsona, uh, but also in, in Chios. Now that uh, we're in a sort of second uh, wave, uh, things are more restricted um, and even more restricted than um, at the, during the first spring lockdown. There is uh, the, uh, for example, on Lesbos, but uh, not only there, uh, certain facilities uh, or uh, services directly related to the asylum process, but also, for instance, uh, a cash machine, bank cash machine, yeah, have been built during the first lockdown close to camps that are distant or just outside or inside, yeah, 
to uh, certain camps, for instance, the former Moria camp in Lesbos, but also the Vial in Hios, as well as in the mainland, that uh, located you know, far from, from uh, any sort of market or access to, to, uh, to cash. Uh, so as people do not uh, move. And, and there is, a, uh, I think, a, 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 a contradictory sort of, uh, you know, providing the facility close, uh, uh, which, which is a step forward, but in order to avoid intermingling with uh, local population, in order to avoid movement and uh, not having many options to spend the money actually uh, uh, within the camp itself. Uh, so, yes, uh, now we are all in lockdown. The restrictions uh, are, are back, but uh, they actually only were only relaxed uh, in most cases, never relieved uh, between month uh, May and uh, early November that uh, the country went into a second lockdown again. Okay, thank you so much. I don't know if anyone else has a question. I had a question about the role of the state. Um, Panos, you mentioned about, um, there was a quote about, uh, there were a couple of quotes where you talk about the informal economy and the whole extraction of labor um, and the creation of a flexible, precarious labor force particularly um, by the, uh, through the informal economy, whether you um, tap people for working in the agriculture sector or in the marinas. Um, and that brings me to the question about, given um, the location of camps, I'm wondering, do you, do you anticipate the Greek state per se, relocating some camps in regions where there might be a shortage of labor. I'm just trying to understand this, given that you know you have this very um, captive pool of labor available, um, and especially when you were talking to me about Katerini, that whole region. So I'm just curious about what role is the state playing because here it seems to be disengaged from the camp economies, even though I know they are fully implicated in all of this. Uh, well, Rina, thanks for the question. It's actually quite interesting, and there is an interesting uh, com comparison. I mean, uh, one can do uh, with uh, in rural uh, areas such as in the south of Italy, for instance, in Calabria, uh, where um, in in many ways uh, um, camp uh, local economic development was either actually sort of uh, thought uh, of. Uh, for the look uh, with respect to the thereby location of camps by by the state or the other way around there was this movement focusing also on the on migrants contribution in local development uh, all this movement uh, you may have heard of uh, uh, during the, the the days of Salvini a municipal movement especially in different parts of the country that were actually on this base of you know people being uh, being kind of participating but also you know, stressing their, their um, contribution to local economic development as an argument against the, the sort of extreme right uh, anti-migrant uh, rhetoric and policies of the previous Italian government. Um, we didn't have this in Greece. We didn't have this uh, originally and we don't have this now. And, uh, or at least it's not explicit. And I don't think the geography of camps suggests such, uh, such uh, 
you know, and and not not unsaid uh, sort of uh, whatever seems to happen uh, as in other cases in the Greek case, uh, uh, it seems to be uh, unintended consequences rather than uh, a planned and uh, intended uh, outcome. Uh, and again, one can draw parallels uh, while looking at the literature, let's say, trying, trying to, to find, uh, to set foot in the literature. To, uh, there, there are interesting examples in, uh, from, from cases in uh, camps in the South, for instance, in Africa, in countries such as Tanzania, where a reverse NIMBY called YIMBY, yes, in my backyard, was uh, articulated uh, by local people who don't want the camp to be or uh, reduced in terms of population. There, there was this decision of the UNHCR to kind of you know, change their policy and not have so many camps and reduce their uh, size and, and so on. But uh, there were locals who were basically basing their livelihoods on, on, uh, on, the, on the presence of the camps. We didn't have this in, in Greece, and uh, I, I don't think that uh, they're sort of thinking uh, in, in that direction. Um, talk now is about uh, control, if uh, more, more control, uh, massive, fewer and, and bigger uh, centers, and uh, more detention um, uh, centers. Um, not, not so much sense or intentions to connect uh, uh, this uh, in any way, bad or good for the migrants, whatever, with, uh, with uh, uh, local labor needs or um, economic development, uh, despite knowing that uh, to some extent, depending on the case, there is a uh, contribution. Yeah, and I've told you some of the details in, in our private exchange of how employers have asked for the government to, to, to help by uh, restricting, uh, um, relaxing restrictions back in spring in order to have workers to work in the sort of um, uh, vegetable, uh, you know, spring, summer vegetable produce uh, uh, in, in the north part of the country that I'm aware of. Thank you. Do we have time for another question? Should I go ahead? Okay. Um, thank you, Panos. This was this was amazing. And my question is regarding, I mean, you you mentioned the kind of the gendered aspect of this economy, basically. Uh, we're talking about the, you know, the you know, washing yachts in the marina, basically. I was wondering, you know, especially I was I was really curious about that main high street that you showed um, about the kind of the, you know, gendered aspect of that kind of uh, participation in that economy. Sorry. Um, thanks for the question, Naisa. As entrepreneurs, women as entrepreneurs, uh, for instance, or what, what sort of uh, gender divisions of labor one can can observe? Uh, it well, the, the uh, whilst the presence of women and children obviously is uh, is is quite high. We're talking about largely refugee sort of forced migrants. Uh, the uh, you've seen some of the figures. Uh, the, the main group lately is. Uh, 
these Afghanis, but there are also good numbers of Syrians, Iraqis late in the last couple of years, also people from, from the DRC, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, I would say, uh, at least in, in places such as the, the sort of high street in Moria that, uh, that existed, uh, you, you, you'd see more shoppers, more, more people shopping, more, more women shopping, let's say, rather than holding uh, a stall. Uh, without meaning that uh, uh, it's absent. Uh, it, it's pro it probably reflects the um, gender relations within uh, um, specific communities to some extent, because for instance, among uh, African groups, then you, you could see on that sp specific street, right? Uh, more often uh, women entrepreneurs, let's say. Um, in terms of relations with uh, the outside world, world such as the, the example of the, washing the yachts in the marina, which is mostly a job, as far as we understood, done by um, Kurdish women in the camp, uh, in the informal camp in Lavrium. Uh, this is something we actually have not literally encountered in any of the other cases that we visited or talked, um, talked about in, in an interview. Um, so that is this, this kind of uh, clearly gendered informal work. We haven't came across many instances of uh, uh, women um, working, uh, even informally. Uh, most of the examples, whether of, you know, actual experiences of people or whether we were told off by somebody, uh, were, were about men. Um, working in the surroundings, that is, uh, or in, in the rural sector or in industries or whatever. Uh, there is this, in terms of what's going on inside camps, there is this, this perhaps other side more, I mean, uh, like sexual exploitation and uh, this side, which we, we only hear the rumors that's been told. We don't, uh, you know, we don't do the, the, the details, but there the was in both Scaramangas as well as in the, the jungle in Moria, there, there was uh, forced prostitutions, which we know of uh, the, you know, rumors people would say, people, both residents and uh, people from NGOs and so. But to what extent, uh, you know, we, we, we can be sure of. So, yeah, I'm not sure, but this is something actually we, we, we perhaps need to look more into in the study itself, uh, also because we have few interviews with women and that's biased in itself, partly reflecting though our, our access. Um, women are, I think, 25% of the camp population, um, considering that children is about uh, 40, 40 something, then it's more or less underage, that is, minors, um, slightly more men than women, if, if the demographics make sense. Uh, helping make sense. Thank you very much. I think it's 231. Um, I don't know about Aisha and Carolyn. Um, yeah, I, um, thank you very much, Panos, for this talk. Um, really appreciated the insights. Um, Aisha, Carolyn, would you like to add in some words? Otherwise, yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time for this. Well, thank you for giving me the space. I hope 
uh, you found it interesting. Thanks for the questions, really, and for your patience, uh, uh, bearing with uh, with my rather long, uh, longer than intended uh, talk. And um, to the next. Thank you very, Thank much. You very much. Really, we appreciate this. Yeah. And nice to, to meet you, Aicha, Caroline, uh, Tyron, uh, those of you who have been um, exchanging. It's, it's good to see the faces. Thanks very much once again. Have a good rest of the day. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Take good care. Night. Good night. Bye now.